This year's election has kept a major focus on health care reform and the need to cover the millions of uninsured. But there are multiple other reforms needed to fix the system that may be as important that start with those who teach and train the professionals who will provide the care. Welcome to a special education segment on the Clinician's Roundtable of ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. Daryl Kirch. He's the president and chief executive officer of the Association of American Medical Colleges. Founded in 1876, the Association of American Medical Colleges, or AAMC as it is known, is a nonprofit association representing all 129 accredited U.S. and 17 accredited Canadian medical schools and nearly 400 teaching hospitals and health systems. Dr. Kirch assumed his current position as AAMC president in July of 2006 following six years as Senior Vice President for Health Affairs, Dean of the College of Medicine, and CEO of the Milton S. Hershey Medical Center at the Pennsylvania State University. A noted psychiatrist and neuroscientist in his own right, Dr. Kirch, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to ReachMD XM 157. Thank you. It's my pleasure to join you. Well, so we're constantly hearing it's an election year and so forth, and everybody's talking about the uninsured. But if you could just give us a few pointers here, I mean, in the teaching realm and in academic medicine, and generally, a lot of the providers understand that this is a big issue, but there are other things that need to be talked about. I think from the perspective of academic medicine, you see this problem in multiple dimensions. Because we represent not only medical schools, but also some of the largest health systems in the country that are affiliated with those medical schools, the medical faculty, medical students, and residents are on the front lines of health care. And when you're in that position, you feel, as many of us do, passionately about the issue of covering the uninsured, but you realize that there are many, many more dimensions to this problem of fixing the American health care system. What has been concerning to me is that as we've watched the political campaign season play out, most of the focus has been simply on devices that might bring more people under the umbrella of health care insurance. But that alone, while it's necessary, won't be sufficient to get us where we are. In fact, there are many people who say that trying to do that in the absence of paying attention to all the other dimensions of the problem is financially unachievable. That if we keep the same healthcare system in all other respects and simply provide more health insurance to Americans, uh, we will have only deepened our problem. So the thing that I would like to emphasize that I would hope all physicians and patients would begin to realize is that we need to look beyond the simple issues of insurance and the financing of healthcare to talk about all the ways our actual system of delivering care needs to be redesigned. Well, and if you could tell us, for example, give us an example out there of what it is that would need to be done from a system perspective. Uh, I know that in my writing about some of the teaching hospitals, you know, clearly to capture more reimbursement and to capture patients, you even see specialists and uh, residents and things going out into the community like they didn't used to. But I don't really know if that's anything that's being encouraged on behalf of the federal government as much as it is the systems doing it on their own. So I don't know if those are in the realm of what you might be considering. Well, 
I think the dilemma of all hospitals, not just teaching hospitals, and of all physicians, is that our current system is really designed to reward acute interventional care. That's what's typically covered by insurance. Those are the kinds of healthcare services that create positive financial returns. And yet at the same time, we all know that the greatest gains for us in creating a more efficient and more affordable system lie on the end of preventive care, of health promotion activities. So we're existing in this system where we're rewarding people for doing one thing, this acute care after you're ill, but hoping for better wellness prevention, better chronic disease management, but not rewarding those things. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to a special education segment on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. Daryl Kirch. He's the president and CEO of the Association of American Medical Colleges, which represents the nation's medical schools and about 400 teaching hospitals and health systems. And one thing we're talking about is about the big issue of healthcare reform. Reform and what needs to be the healthcare reform issue that is going to help the medical schools and teaching hospitals. And Dr. Kirch just brought up a very interesting point in the fact that a lot of the reimbursement setup is geared toward the acute care or the inpatient care, if you will. And that's fascinating when you consider, Dr. Kirch, that really the training of doctors you know, what the commercial insurers say they want and what other people say they want is to move patients into a less acute environment. So I suppose if you're a residency program and you indeed want to meet the needs of the future, there probably isn't a lot of reimbursement there for outpatient care. Am I reading you correctly? That's exactly the problem. What we observe is a significant number of newly arrived medical students still have a passion for becoming primary care physicians on the front lines of providing preventive care, providing continuous care for those with chronic illnesses. But when they see the stark realities of a healthcare financing system that doesn't reward that, they become discouraged. Uh, many of them tend to move towards selecting more acute interventional kinds of specialties. The net result is you can see in many ways access to ongoing continuous primary care is deteriorating rather than strengthening. And yet we all know in our heart of hearts that that kind of medical home, as many people are calling it now, is really key to the kind of health system we need. A point I've made in several settings is I don't believe our only problem is the 47 million or so Americans who are uninsured I think there are many, many more Americans who have health insurance but are essentially medically homeless. They have no one providing them true continuity of care. So they go from one incident of sickness to another. They go from one specialist to another, but no one is really working with them to build their overall health status over time. To me, that is the central element. I'm not minimizing the importance of providing health insurance to everyone. I'm saying that that alone won't fix our problems. 
Well, that is also very interesting because if you look at some innovative programs and so forth, I know that some teaching hospitals, University of Chicago, for example, they're doing a lot of things where they're trying to get subspecialists out into clinics. But it seems that when they're doing this, they're doing it either on their own or with some programs that are privately funded that help the uninsured at certain access points. Do you know of any states or any other systems where they might be doing this, where they would seem to actually be set up for maybe even a pilot program if the government were to ever do anything like that? Well, there certainly are some states that are conducting interesting experiments, and I think Massachusetts is at the forefront of everyone's attention. And the major teaching hospitals in Massachusetts have been very supportive, not just of the goal there of putting broader insurance coverage in place, but of shifting models of care delivery. And was this a part of the Romney plan, Governor Romney's reform movement there? He was governor when it was established, but one of the leaders was Dr. Jim Mongan was very involved in that from the Partners Health System in Boston, the main, one of the main teaching hospitals there. So there are academic centers that stand ready to do this. In addition, CMS, the federal agency that supports Medicare is conducting some demonstration projects, as it were, around modes of potentially reimbursing the creation of medical homes, these kind of continuous primary care settings. My honest assessment is that we're just putting a toe in the water as a nation when we need to be pushing ahead extremely aggressively on this front. For the programs that are out there, and even the physicians that are listening, if you can give them advice on what to do, you know, if the presidential candidates that are running for office come to their town, certainly try to talk with them. But also, are there things that they could do to get enrolled in some of these pilot programs? Is it that easy, or are they that readily available? I think what's unfortunate now is that they're so limited in their scope as demonstration projects that they aren't readily accessible to the vast majority of physicians. One of the things that concerns us is as we look at medical careers and at strengthening medical education, we've also gone out and looked at the attitudes of physicians around the country, and there is enormous career dissatisfaction among physicians. And I think in part it's driven because of their sense that this system of financial incentives and rewards has become so broken for them. So my argument would be there's never been a better time for physicians to be politically engaged than today. How would you advise them to do that for the physicians and health professionals? Certainly you are an advocacy organization, but what can physicians do if they're listening to this program and they want to get some of these aspects of healthcare reform to the fore? What do you advise people to do? I would say there are two things physicians can do. Virtually every physician in this country belongs to one or more professional associations. And those professional associations have been very focused on the particular interest of one or another specialty, for example. What I would hope physicians would do by virtue of their participation in these associations is that all of us would jointly press the associations who care about these issues to find their common ground. I think we need to rise above some of the smaller issues that may divide one specialty for another, rise above some of the individual specialty-specific interests, and begin to create a stronger, unified 
voice in support of fixing the healthcare system. And I would like to see my association able to work more effectively with the others in medicine to accomplish that. That's one thing. The second thing is very simple. There was yet another study published recently that showed doctors as less likely to vote than members of other professions. (laughs) This has been shown in several different studies over the years. And I know that my colleagues are very busy people. But in the end, if we don't exercise that most fundamental political responsibility, it's hard for us to say we've really engaged the debate. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, Doctor. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune, and you've been listening to a special education segment on ReachMD XM157. My guest today has been Dr. Daryl Kirch. He's the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Association of American Medical Colleges, and we have been talking about the healthcare reform debate as it relates to academic medicine, the training of doctors, and teaching hospitals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. And I would like to thank you today for listening.